Social Security Fairness Act is the number one priority of the National Fraternal Order of Police. Because of our current Social Security laws, millions of retired police officers, firefighters, teachers, and other government employees face as much as a 60% cut in their Social Security benefits. The Fraternal Order of Police has been fighting for decades to repeal the windfall elimination and government pension offset, the two provisions that unfairly target so many Americans who have dedicated their careers to public service. Today we're joined by Congressman Garrett Graves from Louisiana, who has served in Congress since 2015. As a member of Congress, he has been an outspoken advocate for windfall elimination, government pension offset repeal, and a leader on this issue. I'm Patrick Hills, National President of Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. All right, Congressman Graves, thanks for joining us uh, here on the, on, the, on the Blue View. Uh, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself. Uh, born and raised in South Louisiana, uh, did a lot of work on on things like restoring the coast and rebuilding levees after Hurricane Katrina, done a lot of work on energy policy and infrastructure defense and and things along those lines. Um, this was this was the first time that I ever ran for office was was coming into uh, to this job. And it's just been an amazing opportunity to serve South Louisiana. I'm on the Transportation Committee, the Natural Resources Committee and uh, and the Climate Committee in Congress, but just uh, really been awesome opportunity and uh, just incredible time to be able to represent a great part of the country in, uh, in the United States Congress. Well, Garrett, I have to tell you, I live in your district and uh, could not be prouder and happier with the uh, with the work that you do and the support you give it. And, and not only that, but on a personal note, uh, the personal relationship you and I have working together on on issues that are important to to my members. So so thank you for your leadership. Um, I have a, a a real a big issue for us in, in fraternal order police is something that has been a priority for us for over 20 years now is the inequities of windfall elimination government pension offset, something that you and I have worked closely on, and I appreciate that. But but before we start getting into to that path, let, talk a little bit about uh, about why this is such an important issue for you and uh, just your thoughts on, on windfall elimination government pension offset. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so, Pat, first, you know, uh, thank you for uh, the the just the great candid relationship uh, that, that we have. Uh, I've always enjoyed being able to call you and get uh, just a, a really good, no bull answer on law enforcement issues. And uh, so I really appreciate the close relationship and the mentoring that you've done uh, to me in, in regard to law enforcement police issues. Secondly, in, in regard to windfall elimination, government pension offset, the reason that this became a big issue for us and really personal for me is that I worked side by side with these people, uh, whether they were state employees, they were parish or county officials, um, and, and seeing the blood, sweat, and tears that these people put into their jobs, knowing that they were underpaid, knowing that our law enforcement every day was out there putting their lives on the line, the sacrifice that their dependents, that their spouses and others make whenever they're not compensated for it, um, and then to see these folks actually penalized for choosing public service. Um, it, 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 it just, it's so frustrating. And it's one of those issues that 99% of the public is not aware of, doesn't understand. And so, you know, the reason we've grabbed this is because I want to educate other members of Congress. I want them to understand that their uh, frustration with defund the police, uh, there's something that's even, you know, potentially uh, more impactful that's been going on for over 40 years now that's disincentivizing or defunding individual police 
families. And, and so that's why we've grabbed onto this. Pat, I want to say very quickly, I have worked side by side with these folks, but I also want to be clear that this would not affect me personally and that um, I've secured the quarters necessary to, uh, to be exempt from this. But, but it is something that's very personal to me in terms of a lot of people that I've worked with. All of our laws, our society is built on a similar prem, uh, premise, and that premise is is that it's a, everything. It's, it's fairness. We understand what fairness is. Uh, when someone pays for something, there should be an expectation that they receive that. Uh, just so, so for those that are not familiar with windfall elimination, government pension offset, in the simplest terms, uh, if you were a public employee and you pay, paid into a public pension system. Uh, and, and paid your contributions and, and paid into it, and then eventually went on and also paid your Social Security quarters uh, and eligible to get Social Security. You could you could lose as much as sixty percent of what you what you would be, have been entitled to if you had not been a public employee. If you're in a private sector and paid into a four hundred one k or something else, that doesn't apply to you. But because you're a public employee, uh, there's de- there's definitely a lack of fairness in here. So so uh, just to, just to frame it. Um, uh, of what the problem is. So if we could, let's just dive into to where we are now. Um, you know, uh, the House passed a rule uh, uh, recently that says that if you get uh, 290 co-sponsors and maintain it for a period of time, that you that the, it would move directly to the floor for, for a vote up or down. Uh, we were able to do that. We were able to do that a couple of months ago. We got to that, that number. We celebrated the fact that the first time ever, uh, that uh, 290 members of Congress recognized that this is a, a matter of equity and wanted to fix it. Uh, actually, the number's at 305 now. Uh, within a week of doing that, Congress convened and, and came up with a rule that basically ran the clock out on it and changed the dates of which it could be heard. Uh, it, it, they ended up coming back the next day and fixing it, but the fix was in already at that time. We 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 caught them uh, during that vote when they were trying to they were trying to pass that change in the rule. If anybody's bored enough to go look at C-SPAN, you will see this big kerfluffle on the House floor and all these people. And Rodney Davis and I were right up in the middle of it, um, but but we did get them to reverse it. But it was clear you you made the the exact right point, Pat. That it was clear that that there was a fix in that there was sort of institutional opposition to this, despite the fact, and gosh, we can't gloss over this, as a result of the work of the Fraternal Order of Police and so many other people, um, we're, we're at the point now to where 305 co-sponsors out of 435 members of Congress, bills don't get that kind of support. Uh, so really amazing that you have such extraordinary support, bipartisan support in Congress, and you still have this leadership or this institutional uh, opposition or effort to try and kill this thing. Well, it's, uh, so let's take it to where it is now. Uh, you know, again, you know, you set a set of rules. We followed by those rules. We played this game by those rules. We got to the 290. Uh, and so now we should have had a vote uh, three weeks ago uh, on a Thursday. On a Tuesday. It was set for a hearing by the committee. In essence, took it off of the calendar, brought it to the committee, and uh, if you listen to, if you listen to the, you know, the the testimony that was given, uh, there was a lot of self-serving uh, comments that were made on the record to to make it sound like everybody was in support of fixing this. But in in reality, they weren't bashful in identifying that what they did is they took this vote in order to take it off the calendar so that there would not be a vote. Uh, very frustrating. Uh, very frustrating in the fact that in 20 years we've been a- haven't been able to get a hearing. Uh, so this this hearing could have happened two years ago. It could have happened two months ago. Uh, instead, it happened uh, three weeks ago, 
or so in order to kill this bill from moving forward. Uh, talk a little bit about what that legislative process is and, and the frustrations of trying to to move a piece of legislation that clearly has the recognition that something's wrong with it. 305 co-sponsors on it tell you and bipartisan show you that there's a serious problem here. But in reality, we're not we're not getting it done because of because of what? Uh, so, Pat, uh, you're you're exactly right that this has sort of been a cat and mouse game. We get the 290 co-sponsors. They come in and try and stop the clock on us. Um, we get to within days of this bill being called for a vote on the House floor. They then circumvent the process and uh, go bring it up in a committee where they killed the bill. The, 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 I want to I stop there for just a minute because during the committee discussion on the bill, as they're sitting there saying, oh, we, you know, we can't do this. Um, what they were saying is that it was going to cause bankruptcy of the Social Security system and that it was going to take revenues from people effectively that didn't deserve it. And, and give funds, you know, back to the to the people who have been victimized by windfall elimination, government pension offset. What they failed to mention was that this is your money. You have paid into the system. And you just explained how this disadvantages or adversely affects people. But look, I'll give you another example of that. Pat, let's say that you and I both decided that we were going to be security guards. We were going to be private security guards. In 20 years of our life, you and I worked side by side. We made the exact same amount of money. We paid the exact same into Social Security. And then I decided at that point, you know what? I'm going to stop working. Um, I'm going to stop working. You went on to be 10 years as a sheriff's deputy, 10 more years as a sheriff's deputy. So, so keep in mind, you and I paid exact same amount of money into Social Security for the exact same time, exact same salary. Whenever we go to retire, I'm going to make up numbers here just to, for, for, for a given example. Let's say that my Social Security benefits are $1,200 a month. Yours may be $800, maybe $700. Even though we worked the same period of time, we paid the same amount of money, that is defunding police. That is, that is discriminating against law enforcement and teachers and firefighters and other people that are underpaid, that are overworked and sacrifice much. And so it's wrong. So where we are now. Um, as we continue to play this cat and mouse game, we said, OK, you're going to do that. We're going to file a discharge petition. We're going to use another provision in the rules that forces this bill for a vote under a discharge petition. If you get 218 people to sign the discharge petition, I'll repeat for the third time. We have 305 co-sponsors. If we get 218 people to sign our discharge petition, this bill is forced for a vote before the House of Representatives. So that's one path we're doing, and we're not going to stop. We're not going to back down. Uh, we're going to keep trying to run up those signatures. But there is a parallel path that's going on. After the committee voted the bill down, um, Congressman Rodney Davis, Congresswoman Julia Ledlow, myself and others, we got together, had a press conference. We called out the people who killed that bill in committee and we reminded them, it is your money. It is not their money. It is your money. And as a result, they came out in the press and said, both the chair and the ranking member of the tax writing committee came out and said that they are committed to coming up with a solution by the end of the year. So we are, while we're working that discharge petition process and trying to force this to a vote, uh, we're also trying to hold them accountable to their own commitment to get something done by the end of the year. And of course, we have a few must pass bills that this fix could be attached to and ultimately give you and so many others the relief that they deserve. Well, Garrett, there's a, there's a lot to, to unpack there, which you which you uh, you know just uh, laid out. Uh, first, let me let me just point out one thing that I've always said when I had uh, conversations with member of Congress is I'm not asking for anything. I'm not asking for a handout. 
I'm not asking for anything that I should not be entitled to like every other American. It's just a matter of fairness. I'm just asking for something that I paid for, just like everyone else. So I think, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, the whole argument that is, is where, where does the money come from? Well, I'm going to tell you where it comes from. It comes from the backs of the public employees who paid into the system who are not allowed to collect what they, what they should be entitled to, just like every other American. So let's talk a little bit about the path that you're talking about with the discharge petition. Um, there's a lot. There's still a lot of obstacles that happen there that, that we need to we need to work through. Uh, I'd like to to talk one about that path that you just identified and what's the likelihood of having enough time to to get it over to Senate in order to be able to have something to happen there. And any the other one uh, is there's a lot of discussion about alternative plans, uh, alter, alternative uh, formulas to use that uh, that may be thrown into this mix as well. Uh, and I just make the comment about that second uh, about the alternative plans. They all recognize there's a problem here, but they don't fix the problem. They fix it for some Americans, but they don't fix it for others. So, so uh, I guess the the point I'll have to make there is is that if it really isn't fair and you recognize you need to fix it, why aren't you fixing it? Why are you putting a bandaid on it and fixing fixing it for some Americans and not others? Uh, I know I threw two part question to you, but if I could get you to kind of carry that just a little further on both of those. Sure. So, so look, um, one of them, it, it, it is a fairness issue um, in that uh, you're not asking for anything different than any other citizen in the United States that worked and paid into Social Security. So it's an important point because, you know, when I talked at the beginning, Pat, about educating other members of Congress, so many people don't realize this or perhaps misunderstand it and think that people are trying to get double retirement and things along those lines. That's not the case. It's simply treating public employees the same way that every other retiree is treated in regard to their payment into the Social Security Trust Fund. Number two, um, you know, in regard to uh, whether there's a, a new alternative formula and it fixes for some people and others and not others, there, there has been discussion about fixing the component that would address the, 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 the cut in retirement for the retiree, the public employee, the retired public employee only, and perhaps not fixing the spouse issue. Um, I want to be clear that we're committed to fixing everything that our bill HR 82 fixes, everything it does, a full repeal. Um, but I'll also tell you that I'm not going to go out there and negotiate against myself. Our, our bill repeals everything. If folks want to sit down and begin having a conversation about alternatives or how to perhaps step up to full repeal, let's have that discussion. Um, let's repeal, you know, 10%, then go to 30%, then go to 50%. Like, I'm fine to having those discussions. But some people are coming to us and say, well, hey, give us an alternative. No, I'm not going to negotiate with myself. I want full repeal and I want a path to get there. Um, if this year we can get a first down, I'm going to take it. But I'm coming back next year and I'm going to work to continue marching down the field to ultimately get into the end zone, which, of course, is full repeal of both WEP and GPO. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, what's so let's just say uh, hypothetically we are able before the end of the session uh, to to get this uh, get some movement on the repeal. Um, it, then it goes over to Senate. What's your what's your appreciation of uh, of Senate uh, involvement? Because uh, although we have a lot of support in the House, uh, that has not materialized on the Senate side. Well, uh, the the I think the focus or most of the uh, progress has been in the U.S. House of Representatives. I, I don't think that you've seen quite as much attention to this issue 
in the United States Senate as you've seen in the House. So so does that potentially create a quandary? So yeah, it kind of does, Pat. And that one, we talked about that discharge petition path, which could force it for a vote before the House. But then of course, the Senate may decide, well, we're not going to take it up. We don't have time or whatever, in which case it dies. Um, let, me, let me stay there for just a minute. Would that be uh, everything's lost. No, not necessarily, because as you know, you know that means next Congress, we, we 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 kind of start with we've already passed the House and we already had a majority of members of the House on the record voting for this bill. And so I think that we could get back to House passage much faster than we've obviously ever gotten to that point. Um, is that ideal? No, it's not ideal. And that's why the alternative path um, of getting the, the House uh, tax writing committee leaders to come up with a, a solution um, if they come up with something, I think it would be attached to one of the must-pass bills, perhaps the appropriations bill or something else that must pass by the end of the year. And I think at that point, it would be you know, sort of pre-negotiated into a bill that would be clearly intended to pass both the House and the Senate. So you know, both of these have their advantages and disadvantages. The discharge petition means that we may get it through the House, but it may not be considered in the Senate, so we die. The uh, the alternative path of getting a negotiated settlement, um, it would likely be something that would be negotiated among Republicans, Democrats, House and Senate. So it means it would get to the president's desk. But as you've sort of indicated, it may be an alternative solution, which would be something that is short of full repeal uh, that we all support and are advocating for, and our bill actually does. Yeah, well, uh, very, very frustrating. You know, you, I guess it's a lot like football. It's a game of inches uh, when you're when you're when you're dealing with politics. It's been a twenty year journey to get to this point, uh, and uh, I'm optimistic that uh, if at the very least we're forcing people to talk about this issue, uh, maybe we can start getting some movement uh, moving forward with this. Uh, I appreciate your leadership on this. Uh, there, there is another side to this, uh, and that is how spouses are affected by it. Uh, and, and so just if you if you think and you don't have compassion for public employees who have paid into the system and not getting what they have, uh, let's talk about how it affects their spouse. Can you kind of kind of frame that up a little bit of how it impacts impacts family members as well? I will. Yeah. So uh, so look, I mean, you have a lot of spouses that chose to stay home to to help with the kids. And and look, they're. Uh, contribution to the family is is extraordinary in, in those cases and that their effort to make sure that the kids grew up in a loving, supportive environment, that they had food and other things available. And, and that was a decision that was made. It's a contribution to the family. And, and so those folks decided to stay with the family to work within the house. And, and now when their spouse retires and perhaps passes on, uh, those people, that, that spouse who chose to sacrifice for the family is going to be penalized. It's, it's, you know, so, I mean, this really is a double penalty. It, it affects the retiree. It affects the spouse or widow. And, and, and it's, it's so inappropriate. And you use the term, you reminded us of the term that's in the bill's title, which is the Social Security Fairness Act. This is unfair. This is unjust. And that you're you're not just penalizing the retiree, you're penalizing the spouse or widow, and um, it, it really is just disgusting what this does because that person often has no alternative. And, and we've actually had people write our office explaining their economic situation to us because of the discount um, that they're getting under Social Security, and literally unable to make ends meet. 
Um, and, and that's wrong for people that have sacrificed so much for our community and, and that, you know, they decided to be peacekeepers. They decided to be law enforcement officers. And, um, and now their dependents are suffering for it. Hey, Garrett, I want to I want to, you know, take this time uh, to let our listeners know and I remember my members know that uh, for for quite some time, this is this is not a new issue for you. Um, prior to the pandemic, uh, you actually hosted uh, yourself and Rodney Davis uh, hosted a number of groups. We, we, we met monthly on our strategy of how to get where we are now to, to force this uh, to a vote. So this is uh, this is something very passionate to you. I appreciate your leadership on it and, uh, and, and, and your recognition of something that is so unfair to public employees. Um, let's talk if we could. Uh, there's a lot going on in Congress uh, right now as we wrap it up. Midterm elections, uh, you know, are going to be, you know, going to kind of in some ways shape the actions that are going to happen for the remainder of this uh, of this session. Uh, what do you see on the horizon for law enforcement, uh, law enforcement during this this very, uh, you know, I guess strange time uh, we find ourselves in Washington every two years when uh, when we have a you know in between in between elections and uh, and a new Congress. Sure. Uh, so this is known as a as a lame duck session. And that um, it's the last few months before the end of the year. And uh, so the leaders that are in place are going to try and rush to shove everything through that they can before you have a change in leadership uh, in, in the new year. And so, um, you know, there are two big bills that we have to get done, Pat. One of them is the appropriations bill right now. Appropriations or funding for the government runs out in December. So there's going to have to be an effort to come in and re-up those, whether it's another temporary extension or a longer term uh, yet to be seen. My guess is, is that it's going to be something more temporary, but uh, again, yet to be seen. Secondly, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act that um, obviously funds our military and determines which weapon systems and pay and benefits and things like that go to our military. Um, so those are the two big bills. There, there's a chance that a few other cats and dogs having to do with water resources or Coast Guard or others could get passed individually or attached to these. But what it means to law enforcement is that uh, these bills in funding government, uh, this funds the Department of Justice and all of the OJP programs out there, the Office of Justice programs um, out there that that benefit our local law enforcement agencies, uh, uh, programs that fund everything from vest and technology to actually hiring more officers. And so, you know, look, I've mentioned this a few times, and I know it's a politically a very sensitive or divisive issue uh, for some people, not me, um, but this whole defund the police thing, we have seen how that plays out in regard to undermining the security or safety of our communities. Um, and, and so now there are folks that are trying to come in and undo and put words back in their mouth and things like that. And so, uh, you know, what's most important is that we truly focus on law and order. We focus on supporting financially our, our peacekeepers, our law enforcement officers, but also something that cannot be discounted is that we support verbally, we support morally, we lift up these people. And I can't overstate this after working side by side with these people for years. The sacrifice that they make and that every day they go out and potentially put their lives on the line, these people are underpaid and underappreciated. And so, you know, something else that's really important is that we stop this ridiculousness of attacking the police and, and not just get out there and fund them and provide them the resources they deserve, but truly lift these people up and 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 promote them as the heroes that they are, that that 
truly are the line between chaos and civil order or safety in our community. Um, folks deserve that. Our community deserves it. And I'll say it one more time. We see what happens when you go through this crazy experiment of attacking those those um, uh, law enforcement officers or those people that are out there trying to keep peace in our community. It doesn't work. Uh, Garrett, there's some 800,000 uh, men and women across this country go into communities every single day and make a difference in the lives of the people they serve. And uh, we, this this has been a very difficult two uh, two years for for our profession. Uh, and and I will argue that it has done irreparable harm that will take a generation to fix. Um, we we find ourselves at a at a time now where uh, where policies uh, and 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 directives were were when it comes to law enforcement, we're being made in a large part by people who had no law enforcement experience whatsoever. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that a lot of cities of reverse course recognize uh, that they have, uh, that, that they were missing elements and, and, and taking steps to, to fix that. To, to me, what's more important is how do we, how do we move forward rather than how we got here? History will record that. I'm less uh, interested in that. I'm trying to make our, our jobs and our communities um, more safe. And this has been uh, without a doubt, no unquestionable, the uh, the worst time uh, for the safety of law enforcement officers with the amount of law enforcement officers that are being shot across this country since we started recording this data. This is uh, last year was our, our our highest year, and we are we're far on pace to to eclipse that. But we have another major issue that's coming, and that is that uh, that we've we've seen law enforcement uh, retirements up forty five percent, resignations are up uh, I want to say thirty some odd percent. Uh, and we're just not getting attracting the best and the brightest because of the demonization that's happened to this profession. We have a major challenge on our hands right now, both for the wellness of the officers that are, that are still on the job every single day, making a difference. And more importantly, the next wave of law enforcement officers that are going to shape law enforcement for the future. Uh, and it was something that we desperately need and maybe a topic you and I will get together on and, and do again. So with that, we'll go ahead and start wrapping this up. If, if you could, I'll give you an opportunity to have some closing words. Yeah, sure. Um, one, I just I want to thank you and all your members. You know, we we we've kind of brushed over the fact that that, that we secured 305 co-sponsors on that bill. Um, there is not legislation that gets 305 co-sponsors. Everybody sees if you wake up, if you read the newspaper, if you watch the news, you see the divisiveness in Congress. The fact that any bill has 305 co-sponsors on it, which means a huge, huge uh, bipartisan majority on a bill. Um, that means that you have a ton of people all across the United States educating members of Congress working in support of this bill. And so I want to thank you and all of, of the uh, Fraternal Order Police members for all of your hard work, your legwork, your communication on the ground, connecting with members of Congress, because it, it bills don't get that kind of support. And uh, I don't want to brush over that fact. It would not have happened. It couldn't happen without your leadership and all of your members out there uh, on the ground. Uh, secondly, um, you know, this this change in the law happened uh, 40 years ago. And sometimes people say, well, look, that's just the way it's been. It's been that long, but it's wrong. It's unjust. And as you've said, it's unfair. We're not stopping on this. Uh, the clock has not run out. We're going to continue running through the tape through the end of this year. And I'm hopeful that we're able to get at least at least a partial fix in which we are going to start right back in January of next year, if that's the case. But of course, our goal is, is to get the bill enacted as is full repeal of both weapon GPO, fully restoring the retirement benefits that law enforcement officers all across the United States have paid for and deserve. 
And Garrett, I, you know, look, if, if nothing else, uh, let me, let me make this part clear. Uh, I, I, want my, I want my members and I want Congress to understand that we're not going away. This is an important issue and it's one that needs to be fixed. And, uh, you know, while we're, while we're going to push for the remainder of this session to try and get it, you need to know that it doesn't end at the end of the session. We will be right back at it. We are not stopping till we fix this injustice. And I appreciate your leadership, uh, working with us closely, uh, and to, to try and fix, uh, this problem in Congress. Again, thank you for joining us. I appreciate all you do. Uh, as a, as a member of your district, uh, I can, I can certainly appreciate the leadership that you provide to, to, to Louisiana. Uh, and especially, uh, you know, our, my hometown. And uh, uh, it, it's an honor to, to work alongside you. So I, uh, to, to our viewers, uh, thank you for joining the Blue View. Well, we talk about the issues that are vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up in communities across this country every single day. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.